Jim, may I have slide number eight, please? I'd like to ask in a few minutes, if you'd be willing, if you consider me talking with someone around you around the idea that um, you're building your life on Jesus, the cornerstone. And I'd like to um, come at this a little, I hope, uh, in a surprising and encouraging way. Um, th this is the thing that just, just really captured me this week. This, this sentence, so I want you to think about this. I'm gonna go in about, say, seven minutes. Here, here's the sentence. What is Jesus doing right now? What is Jesus doing right now? And the answer has an incredible importance to the idea that we're building on a cornerstone. So I'm gonna show you in just a couple minutes, we are very good at remembering what he did and we're talking increasingly about what he will do. My question is, what is he doing right now? Let me just put a little, little, little backstory here. Remember the context. The book of 1 Peter is written to a people who are being persecuted. Persecution is such that they grab whatever they can and they run between 535 and 1,000 miles. In today's terms, they'd be like we grabbing whatever we could and running to Canada. So now that they are way back on the margins, they're trying to figure out what is going on. And in chapter two of 1 Peter, he begins to talk about who Jesus is and how they need to build his life, their lives on this. So I wanna, what, what I'm, I'm gonna ask you to be doing is applying this to your life. Karen re referenced it. COVID, the election, racial unrest, all, just pick, pick all these different things that are, that are significant and before us. What, what role does your relationship with Jesus play in all that? So having said that, could you open your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, the words will be on the screens, but I hope you're bringing your own Bibles as well. And I'm going to read it through at first, and then the second time I want to go through and I want you to look for the word stones. So 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Please hear the words of the Lord. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave spirit, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Heading the living stone and a chosen people. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. And if you have your own Bible, the footnote says into a temple of the Holy Spirit to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone, this cornerstone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which, they, which, also, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. People of God, these are the words of God. Jim, can I have verse six, please? We're gonna go through six through eight. Look for the word stone here now. For in scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, Jerusalem, a chosen and precious. The word precious can also mean beautiful, cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him, that's Jesus, will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone, Jesus, is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone, Jesus, the builders rejected, has become the cornerstone. And a stone, Jesus, that causes people to stumble, and a rock, Jesus, that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, for that is also what they were destined for. So look for all the words stones. Now if I would use the word stone, a cornerstone, I, I know we're in three rooms and we're at home, but can I just ask you here, just talk back to me real quick. When you hear the word cornerstone, what do you think? And then I'll repeat it back to the other rooms. What's a cornerstone? Foundation. How important is a cornerstone, Buck? Buck says that without the foundation, that cornerstone, the facility, the building, it will collapse. Now, we don't have today, I would guess, unlike in years past, we don't have a sense of the size and scope of a cornerstone. So I want you to think now, remember now, the context is a persecuted people. They're on the margins, and they're wondering what in the world's going on. And really, they're wrestling with, is Jesus really who we think he is? So St. Peter, to help them, uses an example of something he knows very well. I want you to see what a cornerstone looks like. So this is the same western wall we can see outside. It's the continuation of it. We're not standing on top of it or beneath it or on the other side of it, just along the same wall, but where it's concealed, where it's hidden. If you look over here at the bottom and with your gaze slowly climb up to the top, you will notice different kinds of construction. You're looking at two different periods. 1400 years ago, when the Muslims first came here, they find parts of the wall ruined, destroyed. They decide to renovate. These small stones over here and the larger ones above them, all the way to the top is 1,400 year Muslim renovation. But from here and all the way down to the valley, we're talking about four stories beneath us. This beautiful symmetric shaped stone with this nice frame around it, aligned so neatly one near each other and one on top of the other with no cement in between to glue the stones together. We call this dry construction, kind of like Lego. This is 2,000 year old Jewish construction. So uh, look at me, don't follow me. I wanna show you something. From here and all the way, going 40 feet along the western wall, 40 feet, that is longer than a bus, you're looking at the largest stone found in the Temple Mount. It is 12 feet high, 
and 14 feet deep. It weighs close to 600 tons. That's equivalent to like, a, I would say, 200 elephants, or if you want it in a modern scale, two airplanes. The big jumbo jets, the transatlantic 747, with the people and the luggage after shopping in Israel. That's heavy, yeah. Um, two big airplanes, one stone, and the big question is how? How do they carve a stone like this? How do they roll it here? How do they lift it up and place it so accurately? I believe a good question deserves even a better answer. The answer is, we don't know. Physicists, mathematicians, archaeologists, engineers, historians, today don't know how with the lack of technology they had 2,000 years ago, they were able to move something so big. This is a mystery, an enigma. But there is one story I could share with you about the stone. When Titus destroys the city, he sees this big stone. As a tactician, as a, a general, he understands perfectly the symbolic value that the stone has for the Jewish people, for their moral and pride and self-esteem. So you, you have to try to imagine him telling his soldiers, guys, we need to destroy this because we need to break the Jews not only physically, but also mentally, psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. Try to imagine Roman soldiers standing way above us, pushing stones from the wall down to the marketplace below us, stone after stone, row after row, until they get to this big stone. When they do, they huff, they puff, the stone doesn't budge. They try to break it, they try to destroy it, but luckily for us in the end, instead of them breaking the stone, the stone pretty much broke them. And they left us this amazing 2000. So chapter two, verse six, the scriptures say, see I lay a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen and precious cornerstone. 40 feet long, 12 feet high, 14 feet wide. The Romans could not break that stone. The destruction of Jerusalem was so total that everything, the whole city was raised except for that. That cornerstone could not be broken. And that's why I've said to you a hundred times in 2020, we are part of an unshakable, unbreakable kingdom. Jesus cannot be destroyed. And so my question for us is, in the midst of where we are today, are you building your life on this foundation? It's the only thing that's gonna hold. But I wanna unpack this just a little bit for you. So in that light, can I have slide number four? I'm gonna, just real quickly, because I wanna go to a surprising place. I'm gonna go to Intercessor and Advocate. So the text in 2 Peter chapter one says Jesus is the firm foundation. The word precious is the word beautiful a chosen and beautiful foundation. He is the savior, and then he talks about a stumbling block. So can you imagine a 40 foot long piece of, great big piece of cement. People who run into that stumble. People who walk on it fall. So what is being spoken here now, quietly underneath is this. Jesus is the savior and those who respond and build on that have eternal life. But the implication is those who don't stumble and fall forever. So that's what he's poking at. 
He keeps talking about this stone, the stone. But I want to talk about either having life or not, an intercessor and advocate. Now, this is what I was asking you about seven, eight minutes ago. So what is Jesus doing right now? Not a trick question. What do the scriptures say Jesus is doing right now? So let's, let's put, put, let me put it all together. So Jesus lived, died. Now, I want you to think of this now. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna really try to make this clear. Jesus has a body. He's not floating around spirit. It's Holy Spirit, God the Father. We don't know quite what, all that the makeup of, Jesus has a body. So let me, let's do imagination. There's a heavenly throne room of some kind. And there sits God the Father on this throne or however, however, however this is. And there are other powerful angelic beings. There are cherubim and seraphim. There are all kinds of people. What's Jesus doing according to Scripture? I'll quote Hebrews chapter 7, 25. Jesus always lives to make intercession for you. Jesus is praying for you right now. Why? Because he knows these people are in exile. And they know life is very, very challenging and difficult. And people's faith is wavering. So what's Jesus praying? So let me stop for a second now. Let me put these together. We talk about the big word, atonement. When Jesus died for our sins, the big word is atonement. The sins were paid for. And we are in right standing with God. So in many Protestant churches, we talk and talk and talk, rightly so, about the atonement. Jesus died and rose and sins are paid for. Absolutely. And we talk about Jesus is coming again, but we don't talk about what Jesus is doing now. So I want you to follow me. So when you, I want to put the two words together. He is always praying. So I want you to think about this. He is always praying for you. All, hang on. A person with a body, fully God, fully man, is now ascended into heaven. He is praying for every single one of us individually, and he is praying for all. And what's he praying? That what he gave us in the atonement is being appropriated and received. That you know you are forgiven of your sins. That you know you've been given new life that you know you have an eternal home, and he's praying that that becomes reality because we don't believe it. And that brings to the word advocate. So listen now, Hebrews 7, 25, Jesus lives always to make intercession. What does 1 John 2, 1 say? Let me read that to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. The text says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus is praying, 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 praying that we live in what we've been given. But what happens when we sin? Because we still sin, yes? So what's an advocate? An advocate comes on occasion when needed and goes from one party to another. So in the heavenly throne room, you have a spiritual enemy who is an accuser. And he said, oh, you know what Buck did? Oh, you know what Randy did? Oh, you know what Chandra did? 
And the accuser is bringing accusations in the court of heaven because people have sinned. And what does Jesus the advocate do? Oh, I've covered these sins. She's mine. She belongs to me. These are my people. Satan, shut up. You have one who is always making intercession that you live in what you've been given already. And you have one who advocates when you fall. So I just talked to someone this week who's having a problem with addictions. And the person has made some bad choices. They were sober for a season and now they're no longer sober. And the question was, am I done? And I could say, do you know Jesus is an intercessor? Do you know Jesus is your advocate? In the throne room of heaven, you have someone saying, no, yeah, she made a mistake. She made bad choices. She sinned. But she is part of my family. That is your cornerstone. He is Savior. He is King. He is stumbling block. He is intercessor. He is your advocate. That's why St. Paul says, nothing can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord because we have an advocate who says, they're mine. I paid for them with my blood. And so to these persecuted people are saying, oh no! He says, oh, you have a cornerstone. You have a foundation on which to live. Now, let me, let me go slide five, Jim. So what we've tried to do as a staff, we're running through four core values all over the place in our life together, using the words intimacy, identity, belonging, and purpose. Building on this relationship with Jesus, let me take you through these. So Jim, I need the text, okay? Chapter two, one through three. So look for intimacy here. The imagery is beautiful. Therefore, look for intimacy. Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now comes intimacy. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you can grow up in your salvation. What's the intimacy? It's a baby at her mother's breast. Mom looks at baby, baby looks up at mom. Think about the intimacy of nursing a baby. Do you understand that you are intimately connected to Jesus? And you're invited to increasingly be so. That's what we talk about John 15 all the time. Abide in me and I in you. Let my words live in you. Why? So that you can have his life coursing through you as a little baby sucks on her mother's breast. You are having these words that remind you and it's place that you are loved. And you have an advocate. And so when you sin and fall off the wagon and do bad things, your advocate says, no, she's mine. He's mine. They belong to me. I paid for them. You'll get away, Satan. They are my kids. And that is why we can say nothing ever can separate you from love of Christ. But that gives identity. Look at the next one. Verse 5. Identity. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, impression to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So you all, all of us, are being built up into being 
priests. What do priests do? Priests bring the offerings, the gifts of people. They may mediate to God, and they take the goodness of God, and they offer it to people. What are you guys supposed to be doing in culture today? Posting all kinds of angry things, crowning about this and crowning about that. We are to be a holy priesthood. What's holy? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbors yourself. Be different. Be separate. That, that's who you are. That's how we're supposed to be, a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. Like what? Forgiving, blessing, encouraging, generosity. That's who we are. That's our identity. We are priests, holy priesthood. And when we fall off the wagon and we make mistakes, we have an advocate who says, oh no, these are still my kids. And you have the same one praying, Lord, give them, give them, give them, give them a renewed sense of being. Give them, remind them that they're loved. Remind them that they're accepted. Remind them that they are special. Let's go, let's go to the word purpose. Verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. We have a purpose. I mean, uh, where am I going to here? You know, my mind's running belonging. We are this chosen people. I've told this story many times, one more time. When I was in eighth grade, I was five feet six. And when I was a freshman, I was six feet three. And so I was really uncoordinated. My high school basketball team, Homewood Homewood Flossmore High School, had 66-0 freshmen. There were three teams. I was on the C team, and me and Clark Johnson were the two that were never picked. He was 6'8 and had size 18 feet. And so we ran our wind sprints by ourselves because we hurt everybody. We fall, fell and people knocked them down. It was, it, we were disasters. And in my freshman year, Coach Laqueta, Mercy, put me into the game. 60 players, I finally got in for a couple seconds. And I just found cloud 9,000. I belonged on this team. I got to play for 20 seconds. It was just a big deal. You have been chosen. You belong. You belong in God's family. It doesn't matter what you've done. In Christ, the past is the past. I was in, <clears throat> I was in a... I'm going to hide this story. <clears throat> I was involved in a public setting where someone's child did something very, very painful, very inappropriate. <clears throat> and I'm sitting with some people, listening to some other Christians talk down this child. And a man who is not a believer but watches every week and watches us all week long, was so angry, so angry. He said, I thought you Christians believed that the past is the past. And if you've accepted Christ, did, am I getting this right? If I, you accept Christ, you're a new person, you're supposed to be different and better? I said, yeah, that's the theory. He said, why in the hell don't you believe it? 
And that was his exact words. He was angry, just flared at me. He said, I watch, I watch. Oh, they did that. They, yeah, that's who I was. First time I ever was in it with a group of people, we cast the demon out <clears throat> in Pella, a group. And I'll never forget the story. There were six of us who were praying. There were different spiritually gifted people. We were praying for someone. And as we were praying, all of a sudden, the person who was manifesting the demon began to talk in a different voice. And the demon began to describe the sexual partners of everybody in that room before they got married. Naming names. Talked about the first person, and it was like, just see the blood run to the head. Second person, third person. And the third person said, in the name of Jesus, you be quiet. That's who we were. This is who we are. And we cast the demon out. You were chosen. You're part of a family. You belong, even if we make mistakes. And the last one is purpose. What's our purpose? You're to be the people of God everywhere we go who offer mercy. What, what, is, culture, what is culture needing from us? They need to see people who are little living stones. Our foundation is Christ. What is Jesus? He is a savior. He is a redeemer. He is an intercessor. He's an advocate. One more story. This happened several years ago in a different school across the street. There was a bully, a boy bully, who was bullying some of the younger people smaller people, just a well-developed young man, eighth grade, uh, scaring the children, making fun of them, speaking coarsely, being very, very mean, frightening them. And one day, <clears throat> someone who knew what was going on watched, stood around the corner and watched it happen. This one who had been praying for these kids who were being bullied became an advocate. As the kids were being bullied, he came around, this is winter, he had a long trench coat on, had a hat. He came around the corner and said to the young man who was bullying these kids, put him against the wall. And said, if I see this one more time, the next time you come to school, you're gonna walk out on your knees. And he walked away. Well, the bully goes to the principal and says, a giant attacked me. Well, that wasn't true. The bullying stopped. The children had an advocate. We are called to be intercessors. We are invited to be advocates. Even on the margins. So how do we do it? <clears throat> oh boy, time's running out. How about, how about if we go, slide seven, then I want you to talk to each other if you would. Slide seven. So this, the first two phrases are come from our, our previous four weeks. As we are being established as a hopeful, remember, chapter one, verse three, 113, 121, we are living with a hope for what's coming and a holy people, be holy in all you do. 
We join, listen to this phrase now, we join Jesus in the building process or we join Satan in the destroying process. So my question to us, if we're gonna be a holy priesthood, is this past week, have you been building or destroying? On your team, in your relationships, in hallways, in classes, at workspaces, at home, are we building or are we destroying? If Jesus is our firm foundation, our cornerstone, we can be a people who choose to build, to build others up. Next slide, please, Jim. So can we just take a minute, if you'd be willing, could you talk with someone? If you feel like, if you don't, you don't need to. But in what ways are you building your life on and with Jesus, the cornerstone? So let's go about two minutes, and then we're going to have a response. On your marks, get set, talk. Home, other rooms, what's the Lord saying to you? multiple spaces at home in different rooms, but can anybody in this room, and then I'll repeat it, can you share, how are you building your life on Jesus, the cornerstone? Trying to get us to give a little bit of testifying, a little bit of encouragement. Anybody? How, how are you building your life on the cornerstone? Bucks is a daily consumption of word. Way back in the day, we did something called the hours, the praying the hours. Buck, how many years have you been doing that now? Ten years? Ten years in the morning, Buck prays the prayers of the church being prayed by 28 million people around the world for about 15 centuries. Beautiful, thank you. How are you building your life on the cornerstone? Yeah, Eric. Rest and refreshment helps you connect to the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful, thank you. Anybody else? How are you building your life on the cornerstone? Yep, way back there, Darren. Darren said he has a thankful, thank, thank you journal. He's writing things he can give gratitude, thanks to the Lord for in the midst of all the crazy season we're in. Thank you. Anybody else? How are you building your life on the foundation? Yep, Jerandy. I think just hanging out with more 
hang out with people who are also building life on the foundation. Yeah, very good. One more. Yeah. Yep. Rich. So for our guests in the other rooms and at home, Rich was saying instead of for 40 minutes on the way to work, listen to things that get him all agitated, he's been listening to scripture. Let me just add to that. So I mean, I'm trying to do something. You can pray for me. I'm trying, I'm trying, so I'm trying, I'm trying to pray without ceasing. And so when Kirk died, we shared with you three things, the Lord's Prayer, the Jesus Prayer, and the 23rd Psalm. We've learned that together. I am trying to intentionally say the Jesus Prayer more than 100 times a day. And actually, I counted while I have talked, now I've been talking for about uh, 32 minutes. I have said the Jesus prayer seven times. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to build on the foundation by being ever mindful of who my foundation is. So I encourage you to keep doing, we're, we're becoming people who build on this foundation. Let me offer a prayer for us. Lord, we thank you that you are the foundation, you are the cornerstone. And how I praise you that you're allowing us to be formed, to be built upon you. I thank you for so many stories of women and men and boys and girls who are living in beautiful ways, different ways, holy ways. I pray that that would increase. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth through us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.